0: Lord, today I know I've had a lot of distractions and I'm just one person. Sometimes we all have a lot of distractions in our lives. So we thank you that we are here today in your presence. And give us some time here just to focus on what you have for us today. What we can give to each other. How do you want to grow us individually as a church. How you want us to reach this community? Open up your scriptures to us today. Open up our hearts to our ourselves today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. If so, you yeah, have a bulletin or a piece of scratch paper, I want you to grab a pen or a pencil. We're going to do a little, uh, I'm going to have you write down something the distance <coughs> So you can be generous with in that. But we'll start with our trivia that we're doing for this uh, series. Who's the first disciple of Jesus? you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know the answer. first disciple of Jesus is who? Mary. Mary. Mary's the first disciple of Jesus. And Mary's life is like trail markers. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about Jesus. But Mary shows up in the story every so often, and we can see her spiritual progression as she walks with Jesus. And I can look at her life and ask myself, "How huh, am I following Jesus? And if so, where might I be in my journey? Do I actually have the life of a Jesus follower? Because we don't very have the life of a Jesus follower. And what we've seen so far for the last couple of weeks is one, Jesus chooses his disciples and he meets them at the core of the meeting. The second thing we saw last week, a disciple learns caution with the power of Jesus. Jesus is not a safe person. He's a good person. And he will disrupt life. And today, we're going to see that Jesus guides his followers to a transformed life. Jesus guides his followers to a transformed life. Okay, so if you've got your paper and your pen or pencil, now no one's going to look at this unless you choose to share it. So you can, you're free to write whatever you want. I would like you to write down three ways you identify yourself. Write down, please, three ways you identify yourself. Now, people identify themselves in a variety of ways. I'll Kind of give you some time here, because I don't want to put something in your head that maybe you didn't think of for yourself. People may, we may define ourselves by our name, our gender. It's very popular today to identify oneself by their sexuality. We may define ourselves by our religion, by our age, or our generation family. I keep feeding them now. Okay, our jobs, or our role in our family. What's going on? That one. Okay. one. <laughs> Might need to grab another uh, mic. Sometimes, I know there's been times in my life where I define myself by my titles, or my education. Lily Tomlin, the comedian, she said, I always wanted to be somebody. But I see now I should have been more specific. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not just me. You know, there are many influences outside of myself that are trying to make me into something. I'm just going to give up on this. (coughs) There, There are many influences on my life trying to make me into something. Jesus desires to make me into something as well. And if I'm following Jesus, our title of the sermon today is Chaste. If I'm chasing after Jesus, we also need to realize that for good or ill, if I'm chasing Jesus, there are other people who are chasing Jesus too, so they're chasing after me. Now, in the story of Mary... Mary has been an active participant up until this story. The angels visited Mary's first. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Elizabeth and later the shepherds confirmed what Mary already knew. That's our Luke gospel account of Mary. And now we're in Matthew this morning and Matthew, Luke we know Luke wrote his gospel by doing interviews with people. And so he probably actually talked to Mary, and he got Mary's point of view. And Matthew doesn't say he did that. And in Matthew's gospel, God seems to be talking to everyone else, and Mary's just getting taken along for the ride. Have you ever felt like that? This is my life, but I'm just getting taken along for the ride? Everything's happening around me. And God is... Guiding Mary towards transformation in a way that she hadn't and we haven't seen yet. So let's look at our scripture. Read right Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is, of course, the story part of the story of the Magi. And our first guide we see here is treasure as a guide. Treasure as a guide. It says these Magi, they had followed the signs to the treasure, which would turn out to be Jesus. They had seen the star... When they were in the east, and that brought them all the way to Jerusalem. And once they got to Jerusalem, they had talked with King Herod, who had consulted the priests and scribes, and he relayed, relayed that information to them. And then from there, they set off to go find this king, Jesus. And it says, while they were going, they saw the star again. Now, this is unexpected they had seen the star and got them to Jerusalem. They were not expecting to see the star again. And so they follow it to where the place where the child Jesus is. And it's not necessarily Bethlehem. But it says, as seeing the star, they have joy beyond measure. In the original language, this is great. It says, they have mega, exceedingly joyful rejoicing. They are really excited to see this star. And it's taken them right to the spot. And when they get there, they're excited about the star, but they worship Jesus. You don't worship the star. And there is Jesus with his mother Mary. So Mary's right there. It says they fall on their knees. They're showing humility and they worship. What they're, what it's literally describing is they got down on their knees and they put their foreheads all the way on the ground. they open up their treasure as part of their worship and they give it gold frankincense and myrrh and we've talked about this before we've even heard this that you know gold might be for a king and frankincense for a priest and myrrh as for a sacrifice but I just want to, we just need to realize one thing these are all very costly very expensive very extravagant gifts These wise men in their worship, both in how they have laid out their bodies and in what they're giving, they are giving their all to Jesus. Because remember, they're worshiping Jesus, but who is right there? Mary. She's probably holding him. So Mary's seeing this stuff happening right before her. Go back to identity. Up until now, think about how Mary might have identified herself based on the opinions of others. Adulteress, liar, crazy girl. But now the Magi have given her a treasure. Confirming that she is the God bearer, the Messiah bearer. She's seeing who—not just who Jesus is, but who she is because of Him. She gets a treasure. That picture up there is part of the desert in Arizona. When I was in kindergarten. My mom and some of her friends had the idea that we would go find the Lost Dutchman's gold mine. It's out in a state park somewhere in Arizona, They think. Um, I don't know, I I need to go back and ask my mom if they thought that little kids could walk faster than we could, or if it was closer than they would. We got up there early in the morning, and and we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked, we walked, all day, we didn't even stop for lunch or anything and we finally got up to a spot, you know, I was excited, I just kept walking, because so I thought we were going to find some gold and we walked for a long time and it was late afternoon and we weren't even close to like the first clue spot for the Lost Dutchman Gold Mine and somebody one of the adults got the bright idea I think we ought to start going back and so we started going back and it got dark and it got we couldn't see the trail anymore and we were lost out in the desert. Um, somebody figured out that, oh yeah, the parking lot is by a dry creek. And so we found the dry creek, and so we just started walking in the dry creek by the moonlight. And we finally got back to the car. We were looking for a treasure. We didn't find one. We were lucky to find a car. We really didn't have the strength the time or the knowledge to find the treasure we thought we were going to find the treasure of the lost destiny I'm going to use some pretty hard language here you know when we look at how sometimes we view ourselves or how others view us for me the world may tell me that I'm a nigger but God may also send people to tell me the truth but I'm a treasure. See, 1 Peter 2.9 puts it this way. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And 1 John 3.1 puts it this way. See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. See, Jesus guides his followers into a transformed life. And sometimes that transformation just starts with who we are. The story goes on in Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 12. It says, after being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death. So that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. There are also tidings as a guide. Treasures and tidings. Tidings just means messages. I said tidings because I wanted all my points to start with T. Pastors do that. Tidings as a guide. You know, both the Magi and Joseph received dream warnings. the Magi return to their country by a route that doesn't take them through Jerusalem and by Herod.
1: And then Joseph
0: gets a message from an angel in a dream saying that he should take his family and flee to Egypt and stay there until he gets another message to come back. So Joseph moves his family to Egypt in the middle of the night. We don't know, you might stay from a couple of months to a few years. And that's a quick trip. Quick move. You know what? He may have spent that treasure that they just received from the Magi in order to do it. Don't know. I'm just saying. That wasn't an expected move. And prophecy is fulfilled as they stayed in Egypt until Herod's death. So here's my question as I read this. Where is Mary's message? Where is Mary's angel? Where is Mary's dream? Didn't the angel come to her first? See, up until now, how might Mary have identified herself? I'm the one that angel visited. I'm the one that God gives messages to. I'm the one that the Holy Spirit empowers. Not wrong. She also might have identified herself as a Nazarene. That was her town. And as an Israelite. And now she's realizing she's a wife. And in this particular case, God is speaking to her through her husband. And she's a potential target of Murder. And she's an immigrant. Her identity is changing because of these warnings that came. Have you been following the news about the 737 Max 8 airplanes? You know, one likely cause of the recent plane crashes is not that the plane is defective, but that. The automation is not as same as the previous 737s that Boeing has made in the past. And pilots are not necessarily prepared for the warnings and the reactions that have been necessary. Boeing sold it as it's just another 737. And the pilots are saying, no, not quite. And there were warnings that were given, but apparently they weren't heeded. God still sends us warnings today. And even though we have our own intuition, we have our own brains, we have our own consciences that we should listen to, warnings oftentimes come from outside sources. There in the Bible, Galatians 5 warns us of the deeds of the flesh. Romans 1 tells us what it's like to have a darkened mind without God. James tells us warnings about having faith without having works to back them up. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us what we should not be like after we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Timothy tells us about keeping a good conscience and fleeing from lust. 1 Corinthians 13 could be seen as a warning of not living without love. You know, for me to be the person that says, well, God didn't speak that directly to me, so it must not be true, that makes me foolish. God may send me warnings from the Bible. God may send me warnings from my spouse. God may send me warnings from other wise people. God may send me warnings from just as I'm reading the culture of my times in order to preserve my life. Warnings often come from unlikely places. I thought of King David and his general Joab. King David said to Joab, I want to count all the fighting men in Israel. And you would think the chief general would say, yeah, that's a good idea. We should know how many fighting men we have. And Joab said to David, God doesn't want us to do that. Let's not count the fighting men. David didn't listen to the warning, and a lot of people died. Why is that? Well, you know, we as people sometimes don't like hearing that God doesn't approve of all of our activities. I mean, recently we hear that, I mean, the biggest thing in our culture that I seeing right now is God doesn't approve of my sexual activities, so I don't like God, or I don't like this church. In part because our culture, one of the things that people will quickly define themselves by is their sexual activities or preferences. But not all our self-identifications are public, just like not all my sins are public. killed his brother in secret. He's got it in Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. He gave him a warning. See, Jesus guides his followers to a transformed life. Sometimes that takes the form of warnings. our last bit from this passage, we get to hear about Herod. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time, he had learned from the wise men, Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping. Great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be consoled because they were no more. One more guide. And that's termination. See, there's no bigger motivation than staying alive. And it says, Herod is in a rage to destroy Jesus. But he doesn't know who Jesus is or where Jesus is. So there's a lot of collateral damage. He wants to kill every male child two years old and under, all around, in Bethlehem and all around, which also probably would mean some adults got killed, too. Because if a soldier has orders to kill this kid and a parent gets in the way, the parent's going to get killed, too. And this also fulfills prophecy. Matthew says, "You know, Herod's identification of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus is that of wanted fugitives. But from God's identification, they are saved and they are children." <coughs> Remember the original Terminator movie? Was a kid when that came out. You know, the Terminator wants to kill Sarah Connor. And through her, <coughs> kill John Connor. And it's interesting how, how she changes through this. Her The guy who's trying to help her stay alive, Kyle Reese, he says, listen and understand, that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. They can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. And she replies to him, Are you sure you have the right person? Oh, come on. Do I look like the mother of the future? I mean, am I tough? Am I organized? I can't even balance my checkbook. I didn't ask for this honor, and I don't want it. Any of it. But by the end of the movie... When Reese is hurt and about to give up, she's yelling at him. Move it, Reese! On your feet, soldier! Get on your feet! She's been changed. You now, I said at the beginning that if I'm chasing Jesus, then that means everybody else that's chasing Jesus is somehow also chasing me. And not everyone chasing Jesus is doing so because they seek him as a treasure. Our scripture that we read earlier, the Pharisees and Herod's son also wanted to destroy Jesus. There are groups today that want to kill the message of Jesus. But our real enemy is not peace. First Peter five eight puts it this way: Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking some of the two of God. But Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three: These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you may have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus wants to lead us individually as a in church to transform life. When you stay for Sunday school today, I'm going to show you part of a video from Dennis Prager. Um, he's a conservative educator. And it doesn't really matter if politics. I just happened to find this last night um, and aligned with what we were talking about. And what he mentions in this video is he says... People need a transcendent identity, an identity that's bigger than themselves. Now, he happens to be talking about something political and sociological, um, but but the so you can take that for what's worth. It's good illustration. So be to see that in Stanford Sunday School, and not everybody has that. In, the, in a biography of uh, Peter Sellers, the actor, his, his biographer said he had played so many different roles that sometimes he wasn't even sure of his own identity. There's a story of him walking down the street, and a fan came by and asked him, Are you Peter Sellers? And Peter Sellers answered him, Not today, and kept walking. How do you identify yourself? What if following Jesus, truly chasing after Him, means I have to give up some of my self-identities so that I can be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Lord, today, just this morning, I have felt like very, like life is happening all around me. I can't even get my microphone working, even as I identify myself as somebody who knows technology. Can hardly get through some music, even though I identify myself as a musician. my worth is not on what I think I am or what I think I can do. But that I'm a child of God. And that you are looking to change me into the human I'm supposed to be. Lord, let us be people who are willing to give up those things that we hold on to ourselves that are out of you so that we can take hold of the things The, the treasures that you want to give us, the warnings you want to give us, the protection you want to give us. There is salvation in no one else of you Jesus Christ. So let us clean today. As things Jesus good and bad, let us continue to chase after you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.